With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. For a long time, I thought about starting a podcast, but I kept putting it off because I tend to be pretty busy and I thought it would take a lot of time and effort to get started. But that's because I didn't know about Anchor. Anchor is free and doesn't require expensive recording and editing software. It makes it easy to get sponsorships and start earning money. And it distributes your podcast for you to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and just about every major podcasting platform. If you've had a show in your head, it's time to get it out there. Download the free app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. So go ahead and get started today. Hello, and welcome back to Mythic Mind. I'm your host, Andrew Snyder. And as always, I appreciate you walking these trails with me. As I mentioned in the previous episode, I'm currently too overloaded to produce new episodes on a regular basis, but I really feel bad about this, uh, particularly because I have patrons who have helped me achieve my first goal. Uh, And so I was trying to figure out what I could do about this, and I may have arrived at a solution. Uh, I've taught multiple undergraduate philosophy and theology courses, so uh, when I don't have the time to make a new episode, I'm going to start to upload some of my course lectures, uh, beginning with a course titled Philosophy and Christian Thought. This is an introductory philosophy course that's meant to help Christians learn what philosophy is and how to think philosophically in relation with the uh, broad history of Western thought. Because this course was designed as an introduction, it's likely going to be more accessible than my regular Kierkegaard content. Uh, I hope you're able to gain something from it, and I encourage you to share it with people you know who would benefit from an introductory study like this. Uh, Also, if you find this to be worthwhile, uh, I humbly ask that you would leave me some positive reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, uh, since Spotify lets you do that now, and that you would consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andrew N. Snyder. And without further ado, I give you the first lecture of Philosophy in Christian Thought. Hello again. Today I'd like to discuss with you the terms of our course title, that is philosophy and its relationship to Christian thought. So our first question is, what is philosophy? Well, broadly speaking, to engage in philosophy is to use reason to apprehend our world, that is to discern what is the true, the good, and the beautiful. And these are concepts that we will return to again very shortly in a more technical sense. Uh, And then of course we could also use philosophy to understand a particular component of our world. And so this is why we can speak of a moral philosophy. That is a reasoned approach to how we ought to live and what it means to be a good human in the world. We could refer to a political philosophy. This would be a reasoned approach to how society ought to be ordered and why. And of course, we could have a uh, philosophy of language. What does it mean to communicate and how are ideas transmitted? And of course, attached to that, we could have a uh, philosophy of the mind. What exactly is the mind and is it the same thing as the brain or is there something else going on? Um, And of course, philosophy does not have to be quite so uh, obscure. And this is why if you go to your local bookstore, uh, Barnes & Noble, you're very likely 
to find a whole host of philosophy books about just about um, every aspect of pop culture. And so you'll find a philosophy of uh, Star Trek or Star Wars or even The Simpsons or uh, just about any important element of pop culture has had some philosophy book written about it. And this is because philosophy is not just for obscure scholars in ivory towers, um, despite what my mug might show you. Uh, philosophy is something that we're constantly engaging in as we use reason to um, apprehend our world and our actions therein. And so the question is not, should we be doing philosophy? The question is, how can we intentionally think about the world philosophically? Because, again, we are philosophizing, but the question is, how can we do it well and appropriately? How can we correctly use reason to meaningfully interpret our world and our role within that world? Okay, at this point, I think it would be helpful to consider the structure of the word itself, the structure of the word philosophy. So the word philosophy comes from two Greek words, philo and sophia, that is, love and wisdom. And so philosophy, uh, literally speaking, etymologically speaking, philosophy is the love of wisdom. And then a philosopher would be a lover of wisdom, at least in theory, although I'm sure you already recognize that uh, that that description does not necessarily describe all who would call themselves philosophers. But of course, as Christians, uh, we most certainly want to be lovers of wisdom, and so that in turn begs the question, what is wisdom? Well, I've often heard it said that wisdom is the right use of knowledge. And I'm sure you've heard something along those lines before, but it's quite obvious that that definition really does not get to the root of wisdom. In fact, it leaves many questions unanswered. So if we're going to say that wisdom is the right use of knowledge, well, what exactly do we mean by right use? Do we simply mean um, the use of knowledge to accomplish what we desire? Well, if that's the case, we should immediately recognize that one can be very efficient in the world while not being wise. Of course, think about um, some of the greatest tyrants or serial killers or just downright monsters in history. Well, they knew how to use knowledge to achieve certain ends. Does that then make them wise? Well, quite clearly not. And so, by right use of knowledge, might we mean the correct use, the moral use? Well, it then becomes quite clear that we're going to need some wisdom to discern what is good, what would be right as opposed to wrong. And so before I give a direct definition for wisdom, I think we should do what we always should do in such occasions, and that is turn to Scripture, our only infallible rule of faith and practice. So I'm going to take a look at Proverbs chapter 9 with you. All right, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version, as I typically will be throughout this course. Okay, so we're reading from, <clears throat> excuse me, from Proverbs chapter 9, about the way of wisdom and the way of folly, personified by two women, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Proverbs 9, chapter 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. 
Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and live, and walk in the way of insight. <clears throat> Excuse me. For a moment, we're going to skip over verses 7 through 12, because verses 1 through 6 describe the call of Lady Wisdom, and then 13 through 18 describe the call of Lady Folly, and then in the middle verses, that is um, 7 through 12, uh, we get some insight into how to discern between the two calls. And so, Lady Folly, verse 13. The woman Folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Okay, so notice the calls of Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are quite similar. In fact, they say the exact same thing. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says. And then there's an invitation to a feast. Likewise, uh, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says. And we get invitation to the feast of Lady Folly. But notice a key difference here. Lady Wisdom prepares the feast herself. That is, she actually uh, produces something, as opposed to Lady Folly, who is only able to provide stolen water and stolen bread. This is because Folly is unable to actually create. Folly is unable to produce. The power of folly, the power of evil, is not in creation, but only corrupting what is good. Uh, we're told that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is, he subverts, he attacks the order as established by God, whereas Christ comes to positively rebuild, redeem, and provide life. And that's because wisdom is able to actually produce. Folly is only able to take away, that is to corrupt, and that is to subvert the proper, wise order established by God, the source of all being and the source of all wisdom. And this is why we're told here um, that Lady Wisdom is able to actually provide a feast out of uh, her own creativity, her own production. She lays out her bread. She lays out her wine that she mixed. And so we are able to partake of the fruits, the, well, I suppose more literally, the bread and wine of wisdom. As opposed to Lady Folly, who's unable to produce anything of her own, she's only able to provide stolen water and stolen bread. And this is why um, one leads to life, because wisdom can able, is able to actually produce, and the other, folly, leads to death, because folly can at best only provide the appearance of life, but in reality, she cannot produce, she can only subvert and destroy. And this is why the path of Lady Folly uh, may fill your stomach for a time, but ultimately, it leads to death because she is unable to provide ongoing 
sustenance of her own accord. But the calls, again, are very similar. Very often, folly comes in the guise of wisdom. It's helpful at this point to consider uh, the Greek myths of the sirens and the muses. And so in the uh, Greek mythology, the, the, uh, sorry, the muses were the daughters of Zeus who would inspire truth, goodness, and beauty. And these would be contrasted with the sirens, these, uh, in reality, monsters, but these creatures who were able to sing out these beautiful songs that would capture the hearts and the imaginations of sailors out on the water, and the sailors would be drawn to the call of the sirens, the apparently beautiful call of the sirens, only to crash their ships upon the rocks and then be consumed. And so on one hand, you have the actual beauty of the muses, that which draws the mind to what is good, contrasted with the seduction of the sirens. That is, the draw of the mind, even more fundamentally, the draw of the soul to what is evil and ultimately what is deadly. This is a far better understanding of beauty than we typically talk about today. Far too often, we simply say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and we treat beauty as nothing more than personal preference. But that's not actually the case. Something is only truly beautiful if it draws the attention towards goodness. Beauty, truth, and goodness all go hand in hand. And seduction is the apparent beauty, the false beauty, that ultimately leads to the depths of Sheol. Okay, so how do we uh, discern between the all too often similar sounding calls? All right, let's take a look at verse seven. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Now, one uh, pretty reliable sign that you're hearing the call of Lady Folly is that she tells you precisely what you want to hear. Uh, whereas wisdom very often says what we don't want to hear. But this is why the wise, the one who is truly pursuing wisdom, is actually happy when he is reproved, when he is rebuked, because he recognizes that wisdom stands beyond him. And so he necessarily falls short of wisdom. Therefore, he will often need to be corrected and he will actually love you for it as opposed to the scoffer who simply wants to be affirmed. He simply wants to hear the soothing call of folly. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. And this right here is key. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. So we are responsible for responding appropriately to the appropriate call. But what I really want to focus in on here is verse 910. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We often don't like to discuss the fear of the Lord, uh, yet it's right here. In fact, this is a very common theme throughout Scripture, and especially the Old Testament. 
fact, one of the best things scripture can say about somebody is that they fear the Lord. Well, why would it be a good thing to fear the Lord? Uh, well, I think most directly, fear of the Lord is a pretty good indicator that you've had an experience with God. Think about uh, every time in scripture that somebody gets a clear picture of God in his immediate presence. Consider uh, Isaiah when he receives a vision of the throne room of God and he just cries out, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I um, am an, I have unclean lips and I'm from an unclean people. Or consider the Apostle John when he sees the glorified Christ on the island of Patmos. And we're told that John just falls, falls to the ground as a dead man. The question is not, should we fear the Lord? Right? The reality is, if you encounter the Lord, you will fear him. But if we respond appropriately in utter humility and reverence, casting ourselves entirely on God's grace, recognizing that is our only hope, that's when we hear the sweet, sacred words, fear not. See, if we fear the Lord and then recognize that the Lord is for us, then we can say rightly, well, whom else shall we fear? And of course, the answer would be nobody. But with this ongoing reverence for who God is, we seek to live well as his image bears recognizing that no other pursuit is ultimately worthwhile. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so we seek to have our identity firmly fixed in the word of God. And so to bring all of this back to a previous question, what is wisdom? Well, if we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, I think a pretty good definition for wisdom would be a heartfelt orientation of the soul toward God, bowed in humble reverence and worship in gratitude for the grace that he has made available to us in Christ Jesus, the eternal word made flesh. So wisdom is an orientation of the soul toward God, which manifests itself in uh, love for God with heart, with mind, and with soul, as well as love for our neighbor, that is our fellow image bearer of God. And so let's bring all this back to the initial question of what is philosophy? Well, to be a philosopher is to be a lover of wisdom, uh, to Engage in philosophy is to use reason to rightly understand our world. And of course, the right, the definitive understanding of our world is sourced in God. And so to be a Christian philosopher is to use the reason of God that we have access to as his image bearers to understand the world as it has been created by God. Now, there are three main subcategories to the study of philosophy. We have uh, epistemology, which is the study of truth. And so epistemology fundamentally asks the questions, what is truth? Uh, what does it mean for something to be true? 
and how can we come to know truth? Next we have ontology, which is the study of being, the study of existence. And so ontology asks the questions, uh, what exists? And what does it mean to exist as what is existence? And ontology can be subdivided into two primary categories. Uh, on one hand, we have physics, which of course is studied through the natural sciences, which historically speaking have been understood as a subcategory of philosophy, as indeed they should. Uh, and then in addition to physics, we have metaphysics, that is that which rises above physics. So the metaphysical would include any non-material reality, so something like the human soul, or angels and demons, or God himself, or uh, even moral law might be understood as a metaphysical reality. And so metaphysics refers to any reality that is immaterial. Okay, next we have axiology. Axiology is the study of value. And axiology can be subdivided into two primary categories. On one hand, we have ethics, which is uh, how we ought to live. Ethics is the study of what ought to be. And so ethics asks the question, what is the good? What is goodness? What ought to be? And in turn, how ought we to live? Okay. Aesthetics asks the question, what is the beautiful? And this gets back to what I mentioned earlier. Is beauty simply subjective opinion, or is beauty an objective reality in the world that we can use as a standard to judge whether or not something is actually beautiful? And typically aesthetics is used in the realm of the fine arts, but really it can um, be used more broadly for just about anything. Um, as we ask the question, does this idea, does this object, does this experience, does this event serve to draw attention towards the good or does it not? <clears throat> and of course, for a Christian philosophy, all three of these categories, ontology, epistemology, and axiology, find their essence in God himself, who is the true, the good, and the beautiful. Uh, beautiful in the sense that God in himself draws our attention towards the good and the true, which again is himself. Okay, so in this video we discussed um, the meaning of philosophy, we discussed the meaning of wisdom, and hopefully you've come to see how Christian thought, that is Christian thinking, and philosophy very much go hand in hand. As the medieval theologian philosophers were prone to say, uh, philosophy is the handmaiden of theology. God is our source of wisdom. God is the true and the good. And so we simply desire to use our reason in a way that affirms and points back to this fundamental reality. And that is what it means to be a Christian philosopher. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.